Good morning. Uh, thank you for joining Maryam and the professor. Uh, this morning, I am happily joined with our by Dr. Uh, Roger Hodkinson, who is in Alberta. And I am so delighted to have you here with me today. Uh, Roger, thank you for taking the time. It's my pleasure. We need to get this message out as far and wide. So, so Dr. Hodkinson, you are one of the earliest whistleblowers in Canada. I, I absolutely delighted when I saw you come forward, it must be two years ago, and pronounce that there was a major, uh, a major issue, a major scam happening. Um, now, if I jump to the present, what is the most important event in the last month, would you say? There's a lot of things happening currently. What is the big issue in your mind or what's the big event? Well, the, the edifice is crumbling internationally, of course, um, led by the the, the so-called mayor culpa of Walensky at the CDC. Um, that comes as close to, you know, saying we screwed everything up as you could possibly imagine. Um, the, the, there's now the the big, um, you know, finger pointing going on which is delicious to watch. Um, they'll consume each other. And, and of course, Fauci is, uh, has decided to quit before the hounds come after him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't find better evidence of how um, imagined this whole thing was from the bureaucrats' perspective. There was no science behind it of any type for anything, uh, anything that they've done failed everything they did failed right right because the science was never there in the first place whether you're talking about masks social distancing testing mandates vaccination so-called etc 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 it's the biggest calamity in medicine's history ever to have something of this scale undertaken for no reason with catastrophic consequences because of the rushed way things were done. Are you of the mind that this was intentional or accidental? I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. Um, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. At least I was not previously an anti-vaxxer. I took all the vaccines myself, including the flu, pneumococcal, etc., etc. What this um, recent discovery of CDC's complicity and FDA's complicity in what has happened. What that has unfortunately created, I believe, is a catastrophic loss of trust in organizations that were previously relied upon by medicine for guidance and the truth, you might say, mm -hmm. about all kinds of medications and regulatory processes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because when, when trust goes out of the window, we're all alone. Uh, it's divisive. Trust is the cement that keeps society together. And so, whereas I was previously most definitely not an anti-vaxxer, um, as a matter of fact, um, I, I, I view with great suspicion Kennedy's autism project. But now I have to eat humble pie. I'm saying publicly on air, what medicines, if any, can we trust? What vaccines, if any, can we trust? Because the very body that said they were safe and effective 
has now been shown to be a liar. Criminally corrupt organization, which is the used to be the bedrock of medicine. The, the body that gave the green light for medications to be used in pregnant women, for example. Pregnant women are the most precious asset in society, the most protected asset in society. In, in society. And in medicine, we never, ever, ever, ever contemplate giving a, a pregnant woman anything that's remotely dangerous because of the experience with thalidomide. It's as if we're repeating that story all over again, haven't learned from history. So when there's so much loss of trust with so many serious long-term consequences, it's not just a tragic day for medicine. It's a tragic day for the world. Well, what, so we see things very clearly in terms of the deception, but what is it that other Canadians are not seeing the reality of what is going on? I mean, the media certainly has distorted reality, but what, what do you think is the rationale behind the blindness of Canadians? It's the Machiavellian efficiency of the federal government and the WHO to constantly feed a stream of lies that has been protected from discovery because of the intimidation and corruption of organizations that should have been standing up and saying the opposite. Not just medicine, corrupt colleges of physicians and surgeons, who I'm saying publicly now are co-conspirators with government in state-sanctioned murder. The very body that's supposed to protect you from us is now killing you. That is not the way it's supposed to be. But it's not just medicine. Look at the media. Boy Blunder has fed billions of dollars into the media to keep them quiet. A failing industry understands that. You don't bite the hand that feeds you. Mm -hmm. Whereas the church in all of this, other than a handful of pastors who were brave and went to jail for standing up, where's the church? I say this, the church leaders could be found peeing behind their pulpits, not leading their flock when they were desperate for leadership. Because whenever the, the unified state, the church, whenever the unified church takes on the state, the church is guaranteed to win. Mm -hmm. They chose to abrogate that responsibility and that potential power, leaving their congregations adrift, despicable at all levels. So you have all the usual sources of information, corrupt or intimidated, by this Machiavellian strategy of the, of the federal and provincial governments to simply deny access to any counter-narrative. Physicians, one of the principal ethics in medicine that was drummed into me is informed consent. Tell me, how can you have informed consent if you are not informed? That's right. By the intentional suppression of information by these colleges who dress it up as guidelines, but they're actually diktats 
-hmm. you don't follow the guideline, as they call it, we're going to take away your livelihood. Well, sadly, most physicians have put their pocketbook ahead of society. When I trained in medicine, it was to do the public good. I'm not trying to dress myself in the flag here and be self-righteous, not at all. Mm -hmm. When that DR title is conferred on you, it implies that you are probably the most trustworthy source of information in society. When that door's closed and you have a confidential conversation, you used to be able to trust your doctor to tell you the truth. So if you're going to see a doctor a month from now with bellyache that could be cancer, and, and he does the investigations and he tells you that you're fine, are you going to believe that physician mm -hmm. when a month prior to that, he or she had looked you straight in the eye and told you that this stuff was safe? Well, do you think, goes out of the window. Do you think doctors know the truth and are withholding it, or do you think a lot of them are completely unaware and have drunk the Kool-Aid? There, there's, there's certainly both groups out there. Mm -hmm. um, those that are choosing to stay ignorant because they think it's their ultimate defense. I didn't know. Um, that didn't prove very successful at Nuremberg, did it? Um, yeah, but there's also a large number of physicians out there who are acutely aware of the scale of what's going on but are putting their pocketbooks before their patients. Yeah. Medicine has changed dramatically. It's not the profession I joined, no. and I'm glad I'm no longer active in it. I still have my permit, as they call it. it used to be a license. We're now no better than a plumber to be regulated out of existence. Well, you, see, you see, just let me say one more thing. Mm -hmm. Standard of care is a legal concept. Um, that you would lose your license for if, if you, you didn't follow the standard of care repeatedly. But it, it's going beyond standard of care now. It's standardized care. Mm -hmm. It's the government that is your new doctor. And I say to that, be worried. Be very worried. Because you've just seen what happens when your government is your new doctor. They are not looking after your interest. They are quite prepared to kill you and get away with it. Well, and it, it doesn't even feel as though our government is our new doctor. It feels like the WHO has, you know, uh, designated themselves as the doctors for the world. But unfortunately, they're not a credible body. They're privately funded. So we have a body that's usurping control from national systems right. it, it's it would you did you ever imagine that you would see this not at all it's 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 been a creep um an intentional creep um you know evolutionary steps of control mm -hmm. um that you wake up one morning and you find that um you've almost lost the game thank god for the truckers they stood up and, yes. you know, with a point of the spear sticking at, at Trudeau's belly. And uh, thank God for the truckers. It, it obviously morphed into much, much bigger things than that. But they started it right here in Alberta. It started. Mm -hmm. It morphed internationally. 
And, and now, you know, having been an observer of this over the last two and a half years, I'll tell you very frankly, um, in Ottawa, I was a flag-waving patriot. I held the flag. That's what I was there to do, to try to knock some sense into these clowns that are pretending to be physicians. But I've changed. I've changed dramatically. I'm not a patriot anymore. I, for the first time two weeks ago, I sat down for the national anthem. I will never, ever wave the Canadian flag again unless I'm waving it upside down. This country has changed dramatically yeah. because of wokeism having infiltrated every level of organization, not just politics. And so the only way to change that, frankly, is not to plead with Ottawa and beg for change. No, that's going to fail. They ride roughshod over anyone that objects to anything. Mm -hmm. The evidence is totally clear. Mm -hmm. This infatuation with the green agenda, um, Clydesdales trampling old women on, on scooters. I mean, it, know, it knows no end. Um, the hypocrisy, the, the determination, determination to transform this country into the first post-national state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what, no, what, we, 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 just a second. We, we can't move the needle in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. it's, fatuous to, it's fatuous to think mm -hmm. we would get anything other than crumbs thrown our way. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm all in for the independent Republic of Alberta, because having self-determination means one singular thing, quite apart from being happy and prosperous and free. It means you have control over the governance of these out-of-control organizations, like the health services, like the police, like the courts, like the College of Physicians. Suddenly you have the power of governance to trash those organizations, burn them down to the studs, as Paul Alexander says for the CDC, mm -hmm. and reinvent them in a way that's consistent with the original principles of democracy that we're all so very familiar with, which have been uniformly trashed. Family, religion, hard work, risk-taking, trust, etc. Those fundamental principles need to be reborn. And so what I'm, what I'm thinking is going to happen, Marianne, over the next couple of years, or, or less, a year perhaps, is that with the growing um, evidence of carnage on a most catastrophic scale, certainly from the, the so-called vaccine, the clock shot, as I prefer to call it, and the mandates. When that starts being quantified by, by investigative journalists and the basement printing press gets going, lay language, bullet format, quick read, when the lay public start becoming aware of the scale of which they have been had their rights trampled on and the serious consequences which have touched just about everyone on earth. I think that's going to, going to create a scale of revulsion that we're not quite prepared for. Mm -hmm. And that will be something, taking a leaf out of the Great Resetters book, right? They took massive advantage of an unexpected opportunity. I don't believe it was genocide planned at all. I believe this was unexpected, but an incredible opportunity that they took immediate planned advantage of 
Now we can take a leaf out of their book. We got their number. That's how you do things these days. You get an unexpected opportunity and you milk it to hell. Well, that's exactly what we're going to do now. This revulsion that I believe is going to come out of every every organ, every investigative journalist is going to be on this. That becomes the feedstock for things such as the independent Republic of Alberta. The it's scale of anger in rural Alberta, you can cut with a knife. I've been out there at dozens of rallies. Edmonton and Calgary are next. And if they can be persuaded to sign off on this referendum that we're proposing for independence, that starts the ball rolling. And it, it can't come too soon because Ottawa has its sights on destroying not just Alberta, but Canada. Yes. Do you feel that there's this resistance movement in uh, Saskatchewan where they are? Yes. Certainly. It's, it's, it, as a matter of fact, we, we had the first meeting in Swift Current a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there is a, a movement starting now in Saskatchewan modeled largely on the structure of what's going on in Alberta, which, by the way, is not an, it's not an independent party. It's not a political party at all. Mm -hmm. There's a party that, that is pushing that, the Independence Party. But the Alberta Prosperity Project is a society, not a party, that is intent upon one thing and one thing only, and that is to educate the population on the gravity of what's going on, not just in medicine, but in the economy and politics and law and policing, etc. Yeah. And then using that educational process to drive a referendum that will be thundering in its implications. We're looking for a million plus signatures that will not be ignored by whoever the, the premier turns out to be. So essentially you are looking, this reminds me of the 10th amendment in the US where you break off, states have the ability to break off from the federal government and claim autonomy. Right. This, but our constitution doesn't allow that, but this is forcing it saying we no longer oh, want I'm to sorry. be part of this game. I'm sorry to correct you there, but the Clarity Act has made it very clear mm -hmm. what boxes you have to tick in order to become independent. That came out of the failed Quebec referendum. Okay. And the, 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 the Supreme Court essentially drafted um, those criteria in the, what's called the Clarity Act. And that is what you have to follow. We, no one's proposing an insurrection here or anything that's violent at all. Let make that be perfectly clear. We want to stay within the parameters of established democratic principles, the laws that are already out there that we intend to follow and achieve success in a nonviolent way. That's very interesting. I've learned something then. So the Clarity Act provides kind of a structure with which to proceed. And it's so. following that. The, the and that's, exa that's exactly why the act was written. Mm -hmm. was to provide that guidance for the future, having seen such a narrow loss uh, in, um, narrow win, you might say, in Quebec, um, that there needed to be some clarity for the future, which was the precise purpose of the Clarity Act.
Well, this is very exciting news because I, I think there is no fixing. The federal no. government is corrupt, complicit in a level of crime that is unfathomable. And we've, they've sold themselves to these globalists who really have an agenda. So we, right. I don't see much hope going forward for Canada. I do think what you're referring to has the best likelihood of success. Let, let me you know, make a very positive statement before I make, I'm going to make a negative statement first, but mm -hmm. it is going to get worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. The nonsense is going to continue in the fall. It, it could be catastrophic, actually. Um, an understaffed, um, low morale healthcare service, under-equipped, understaffed, people are being fired, resigned. Um, people with inferior qualifications are being brought in to fill the gaps. Bums in seats are not the way you run a healthcare system. Mm -hmm. That is already under stress. We're, we're going to enter the typical fall season with, with, with pneumonia, the flu, etc. We're also seeing, uh, quite likely, uh, an increase in the rate of infections of those who have been vaccinated, superimposed upon that traditional stress in the fall of an understaffed system. And then on top of that, we have what appears to be an emergence of a large number of new cancers or old cancers that we thought were under control. Again, not quantified because they just don't want to know. So we have the, the stats coming out that I'm sure you've seen of sudden adult death syndrome, mm -hmm. uh, unexplained deaths, and now unexplained deaths are now the commonest cause of death in Alberta. Mm -hmm. Now that's, that's the connection. No, no one's connecting the dots saying that, that all is, these people are vaccinated. That is the canary in the coal mine. Yes because you would multiply that by at least a factor of 10 for disability that did not result in death mm -hmm. due to the same thing, namely the clot shot. Mm -hmm. So come the fall, um, even if, there are no, if there's no reimposition of these ridiculous mandates, masks and quarantine and so on, the system could totally decompensate. Yes. So it's going to get worse. But the, the optimistic thing is that this concept of um, an independent Republic of Alberta is doable within three years. Very practical plan has been laid out. This isn't just a pie in the sky wish list. No, this has been thoroughly researched and documented with policy and government governance and all kinds of funding that is in the wings to further this, this wonderful adventure in, in Alberta. Um, but when we succeed, when we succeed, it won't just be the happiest, freest, most prosperous place on earth, but it will be a beacon for the rest of the world as to how to redefine democracy, mm -hmm. starting right here of mm -hmm. all places in Alberta as a beacon for the rest of the world. I, that's why I'm calling this, the potential for this, it sounds grandiose, but I think there's ample reason to support it. This is actually Magna Carta II underway, as we are speaking now. When those barons walked down the meadow at Runnymede to face King John, they did not know 
if they were going to come back alive. They wrestled rights from the king that morphed into what we now call democratic government. Those rights were progressively whittled away, particularly in the last couple of decades. And so now we have the opportunity of retaking democracy in its original form. And calling it Magna Carta II is not an understatement because of the gravity of the dystopian future that awaits us if we do nothing. Losing is not an option. This is the hill to die on for everyone if you're remotely concerned about not just the future of democracy in general, but the future for your children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, what is the sentiment in Alberta then in terms of, because in the past there's been a group who will go protest. There's a group that are fighting the legal battles. There, you know, there's all the non-compliance. Do you notice a shift in the province of Alberta where people are redirecting their energy towards separating? It's massive. Really? That's very I've been out there mm -hmm. at dozens of rallies in rural Alberta. Now, to a certain extent, we're preaching to the choir, of course. Yeah. But you can cut the anger as I said, with a knife. Mm -hmm. It is vehement, intolerant. Change is being demanded. Enough is being screamed. This isn't just a, a rambunctious group of disorganized people mm -hmm. who are sort of radical in their thinking and, and obviously to be dismissed immediately. No, the, these are very ordinary people. Farmers, no, not a not a radical amongst them. Well, I I just, actually think they they just had it. They've had it. They've well, I think, it. I think a lot of people in the interior BC would like to join with you, because there's a huge uh, how would I say division between the urbanites in Vancouver right. and the rural BC population. Right. They would Perfect. love to be on board with you as well. And so, what what do you foresee happening if? rural BC or Saskatchewan wants to join up. Do you, do you envision that there could be an amalgamation? Well, I'm, I'm not on the board of the APP. I'm strictly staying in my box talking about all this, this medical catastrophe that's going on. But um, from what I understand, the sentiment in Saskatchewan is identical to Alberta. Mm -hmm. um, we, we will do our own thing here. And if Albert, if Saskatchewan comes along a little bit later, mm -hmm. certainly merging would be a very practical solution. Mm -hmm. Northeastern BC is similarly of yeah. the same opinion. Um, how that would translate into carving off uh, Northern BC uh, with access to port at Prince Rupert, um, I can't speak to that. Um, all I can tell you is, but I know, which is Alberta, this is a rapidly growing movement, mm -hmm. grassroots. Mm -hmm. There are now 140 chapters across Alberta, each with its own cohort of volunteers. It's grown so big that there are now regional coordinators for this across the province. The hard nuts of, of, of Calgary and Edmonton will be more vigorously approached in the fall. Uh, that will require significant funding. Mm -hmm. There has been a signed contract uh, 
between the APP and Rebel News. This is totally on side with the objectives of the of separation with Alberta. All these things are now coming together. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be run differently from, from Quebec. We have the advantage now of the Clarity Act as the guidepost for how to do it. Um, and it is going to happen. In three well, years, I, there will be an independent Republic of Alberta. I, very interesting. I do envision the future is highly decentralized. So this fits with that notion of we need to get back to a decentralized model where there's accountability and, and regional control. And we've lost our way in Canada. Well, Especially in, in, in the last year, we don't feel that we have any say in what happens federally. So I think people are already disenchanted in the West. Well, the, the, so, way, the way federalism works in this country is that um, the, the provinces actually have a constitutional right to administer many aspects of government, mm-hmm. uh, policing, health care, education, for example, mm-hmm. uh, taxation even. Um, collection. That is within the power of whoever is the new premier of Alberta, given the leadership race that's going on right now. Capturing those uh, essential elements that are ingrained in our in the constitution, capturing control of those elements from Ottawa is a stealth attack on independence. Because then the actual final move of separating is going to be so much smoother Mm -hmm. because we would already be running our police force, already um, running our healthcare system differently, with quite likely a a private element to it, um, which is, of course, like the rest of the world, with the singular exception of Canada. So many elements can be introduced by the new premier of Alberta making the transition into independence that much smoother. Mm -hmm. So you envision the premier facilitating this process? Well, it was very interesting two nights ago, listening to the front runner, Daniel Smith, um, say, as a result of a pointed question, that she will essentially decapitate Alberta Health Services and the College of Physicians and Surgeons because of having control over their governance. And I'd like to think that the universities are next because if you had to point one finger at why we're in this global mess, in my opinion, it all started and has been reinforced over decades by the universities, a self-perpetuating elite that cranks out people in the same mold of socialist thinking, they are spat out and become teachers and lawyers and and doctors and politicians, right? But the point is that they kick out teachers who then reinforce that message in the schools. Mm -hmm. So the students get the message in the schools because the teachers learned it in the university. Mm -hmm. Then they get a second dose at university and they naturally think, well, well, Obviously, I've heard it twice now. That must be right. And if you want to proceed in this society, you better agree. So the universities, in my opinion, are the root cause of wokeism, not just in Alberta, but internationally. 
Absolutely. They need to have their wings clipped. Yeah. Because they are at the public trough. They will, of course, howl blue murder that this is the ultimate restraint of freedom and freedom of speech, where they, while they themselves are the cause of it. Exactly. If, there's anything, if there's anything to learn from recent politics in the States, with the Democrats attacking Trump and so on, Russian hoax, you can almost be guaranteed now that any organizational attack on you is because they are doing exactly that and are trying to cover their tracks. So the universities at the public trough are the ultimate cause of the mess that we're in, and they have to be brought to heel forcibly. And it's very simple. It's called the spigot. You turn the money off. Well, and they, they are the spokesperson or the puppets for, for industry, for big pharma, right. for, for the corporate world. Right. Uh, you know, the, the funding that goes to, that is directed to them to essentially give a narrative that right. the, the corporate world desires is, right. it, the corruption right. is massive. And I do agree. We need, it's almost like we need to start from scratch. The, the, there was a survey done in California, which admittedly is probably a bit skewed, but essentially it was a survey of the political leanings of junior faculty. Mm -hmm in universities in California. 90% of junior faculty in California are rampant, rampant socialists, bordering on closet communists. Those are the people that are now calling the shots hmm. at the, with the deans of their various departments. They are a force that's been encouraged and they are now running, it's the junior faculty that's now running universities. And let's not forget here, just a final soapbox comment. <laughs> universities are not there to educate. Universities are there as a business to get money to support departmental research, which is largely useless. If you're not publishing, you're fired. That's the operating mode of a university. Mm -hmm. The students are merely the, the necessary um, bums in seats to pay the fees mm -hmm. to keep the whole thing rolling. The students are utterly irrelevant. It's a business model. And so they're cranking out all these students with ridiculous fees that can't be justified, especially in the States, and not responding really to society's needs, simply their own business needs. Mm -hmm. So my, my advice to anyone these days contemplating university degree is forget it. Forget it. Yeah, it, it look, almost look, look. has become irrelevant. Uh, look, look. I think a lot look, of look. students are beginning to see that it's... It, a trade. ...benefits. I think they do feel as though they're funding the corruption, in a sense. Look, Their tuition look. fees are nothing more than that. Learn a trade. Set up your own company. Become Stop. an entrepreneur. Take control with one singular piece of advice. Read my lips. Do not have a partner. <laughs> yeah, stay independent and mentor under great business people or professionals. That whole European style of mentoring right. uh, and apprentice. Right. 
is no, you see, you see, we, we an well. independent republic of Alberta would have governance control of the university. Mm -hmm. They could have their heads cut off as well. What did what did we see as a classic example of that? As if you need to document how corrupt they are and how determined they are to control in their merry path of destroying society. Where did the ex-fired head of Alberta Health Services find a soft landing very quickly? Guess where she ended up as provost of the University of Alberta? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's, it's a perfect place. What, what's, uh, give you another in interesting statistic here. We all surmise that senior bureaucrats are socialist in their thinking. Mm -hmm. It's an easy job. It's got a pension. It's protected. You know, de da de da. It's the classic landing spot for a socialist who's at the trough, right? No risk involved, just guaranteed income. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just supposition. So I, I, I looked at the only jurisdiction in the world where there's a tight geographic um, population of bureaucrats, not diluted by people running ordinary lives. And the only place on earth that you could think of that is, represents that is Washington, D.C. Intensely, it's all government there, right? Mm -hmm. So guess what the voting pattern was in the last federal election in the States uh, in Washington, D.C.? You're going to be surprised with this number. 90% of the votes cast were for Biden. Do you, do you have to say anything more about the deep state and the swamp? Exactly, exactly. So uh, this movement in Alberta, who are the big names behind it? And are there more big names joining the fight? What are, are can you divulge who's behind it, or no, are they it, quite clandestine in their operations? Sure, no, it, it's it's public knowledge. Uh, the, the the Alberta Prosperity Project uh, is the product of the Alberta Prosperity Society, which is a publicly listed um, organization with its own board of directors. Mm -hmm. CEO uh, is a senior retired cardiovascular surgeon with deep connections in political history in Alberta and um, corporate finance. Mm -hmm. uh, his name is Dr. Dennis Modry, M-O-D-R-Y, mm -hmm. a wonderful man. The, the idea was his. He has crafted a, an incredible platform, which is there for everyone to see if they want to log on to the Alberta Prosperity Project. It has, as I said earlier, um, a, a very powerful relationship now with Rebel News that is totally on side with the objectives of an independent republic. Of what, what, about, what about the oilman's club or the, the oil and gas sector, the leaders in that sector? I would imagine they would be quite keen to get back to doing their business. What, yes, what you, 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 you're right. I, I can't speak to it because I'm not on the board. I don't know what... what but that, to me, is a very important group to get on side. Yes, but, but remember, they, they've all been mealy-mouthed about yeah. Ottawa. Yeah. Um, they, they recognize that, um, you know, let's... I mean, their thinking will be something like this. Let's say 
this movement that I throw my full weight behind as Chevron or Esso or whatever, um, let, let's say um, this fails. What's the reaction of Ottawa going to be? Is it going to be even worse than it is now? So at the, at the, at this, in the C-suite of these multinationals, wokeism is alive and well. Mm-hmm. Do not think for a minute that they're looking out for you. <laughs> no, they're, they're looking out for their company. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're making pragmatic business decisions on a risk analysis basis. Um, so you can't necessarily look for the obvious sources of support because they have their own agenda. So the Alberta Prosperity Project primarily is the engine behind it is a medical community or no, no, no. a business community? No, not at all. Not at all. Mm. It's certainly not medical and it's certainly not business. It's a literally a massive grassroots movement right? with entirely ordinary people who are indignant and intolerant and are screaming enough. Yes. These are not radicals. They're not wackos. They're thinking people who have read the tea leaves that any negotiation with Ottawa to change the landscape is fatuous. It will not happen. It's been tried and failed repeatedly. Yeah, it's a, there's a futility. There is a futility. I agree with you. Um, and, and the fact that this is grassroots, it sounds very broad, very diverse group of members. This right. is very good. This is very good. And it may be a lot of retirees who are seasoned and feel the freedom to speak out. They don't have as much to lose. They're not looking over their shoulder. So well, uh, come the fall, come the fall, um, watch carefully. This is a movement that is growing rapidly. It's not plateaued. It's just the opposite. Yes. We're, into the, we're into the summer. People are finally relieved that they can live a relatively normal life, even though they still can't leave the country and come back easily. Uh, still prisoners in their own country, but people are under the false sense of security that just because they ha- don't have to have masks, that um, everything's fine. Thank you very much. And it's now summer, the sun's shining, and we want to enjoy ourselves. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. But um, that's natural, that, that relief from oppression. Uh, complacency is the danger, of course, now. Mm-hmm. Um, but come the fall, when they start turning the screws again, um, the Alberta Prosperity Project is looking for cracking um, Edmonton and Calgary and million signatures on a referendum that is demanding that yeah. the Premier negotiates on these terms with Ottawa, recognizing that it's guaranteed to fail, following which there's a, I mean, there's going to be a ribbon around the whole thing. This is non-negotiable, not a piecemeal dissection. No, it's all or nothing. And they will return with nothing, which is the predicate for declaring independence as per the Clarity Act. Well, this has been very interesting, very interesting indeed. I have not heard anything about this, so I'm really glad that we spoke. Now, I would like to switch gears completely and ask you on a few other issues. And this will, um, I think this will be part two of, of our chat today. There is constant debate about whether this virus exists. I find it intriguing that it keeps coming up. It almost feels like a little bit of a psyop. 
do you have any any response to this whole debate? That's nonsense. The virus exists most definitively. Tell me why, in your experience. You, you, you own labs. You're a scientist and a physician and a businessman. Tell, tell me, in a nutshell, why? From, from multiple sources. It's been seen microscopically by electron microscopy. It's been sequenced in terms of its DNA structure. We know from animal experiments, it's an infectious agent. Mm-hmm. It's been characterized to the hilt to, to a, a, a greater degree than any other virus in history, including HIV. We know more about this virus than we do just about any other infectious agent that's ever been studied by medicine. Anyone that's saying the virus doesn't exist is simply spreading a malicious rumor. Look, in, in this business of trying to find change and get out a narrative which is counter to the idiocy that's currently out there, it's so important that we stick to the facts mm-hmm. because any 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 statement about um, oh, snake venom, graphene oxide, magnetism, this and that. The fact checkers are going to latch onto that, destroy you in public and ignore all the other facts that are incontrovertible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we need to stick to the facts, stick to our knitting, mm-hmm. Keep, mm-hmm. put blinkers on and ignore all these ridiculous theories that are circulating such as that. Now, are you are you of the mindset now uh, that Fauci was complicit in working with the Wuhan lab and it probably has come out from that? I mean, yesterday I saw an interview with Dr. Jeffrey Sachs, who headed the committee on investigating this, and he's come out and even acknowledged, yes, this did come from Wuhan. Did it escape or was it intentional? We don't know. But there seems to be agreement on that issue that it has come out of a lab. Do you agree? Or do absolutely, you have absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, it was an accidental release. Look, look, we're now two and a half years into the game and the retrospectoscope, mm-hmm. the looking backward machine is in full flood. Mm-hmm. No one could have guessed, even scientifically, that what they were playing around with in that lab could have all this devastate, all these devastating consequences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. M- much of which, of course, has been the reaction to it as opposed to the virus itself. No one, could, no one could have guessed that. No, no, no. This was, this was the failed little man syndrome, Fauci, who'd never had a meaningful, massive hit in his entire career. The the HIV vaccine was a flop. And he was looking for glory. So when this thing escaped accidentally on a pair of dirty shoes, look, you you can never make, I've run big labs. You can never make a lab hermetically sealed because it has a thing called people working in it. Mm -hmm. Mm And mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. It got out accidentally. It got out accidentally. So, but the point is you had the fair little man looking for glory at the end of his career with all the money at his disposal and the power of mm-hmm. NIH. Yes. You had him pitching to a narcissist. I'm a, I, I'm a Trumper. Solid. 
but everything you did on with with COVID was dead wrong, simply because Fauci lie and Burks lied to Trump to to convince him that you know Trump could have glory here too. You know, it was a marriage made in heaven. The failed little man looking for glory, pitching to a narcissist, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what what Fauci knew and Trump did not know was that the delivery vehicle for this so-called vaccine, the nanoparticles, had been perfected over 10 years. It was ready to go. Yeah, and in Canada, right? It it was, was, yeah, the the patent sold by a company in Vancouver. But the the point, and Robert Malone was part of that way back in time, it was a delivery vehicle intended for other purposes, such as delivering chemotherapy to the brain because these particles pass the, the blood-brain barrier, just, by the way, as they pass the placental barrier. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the nanoparticles were, were ready to go. All that you had to do was to package them with mRNA of a special kind. Mm-hmm. And that everyone knows that could be done very quickly. And so Fauci knew that the so-called six-month warp speed program was very doable, providing you didn't have the inconvenience of doing clinical trials. And so he pitched this to Trump, Trump not knowing anything about clinical trials except just looking for glory. And the two were in lockstep. We know that from Paul Alexander, who was right there in the middle of it, seeing it evolve along those lines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if Trump doesn't put his standard in the ground and distance himself from Fauci and say on day one in 24, uh, he's, if he's not, if he's still around, he's going to be gone. Um, instead of that, he's going through the bravado of being on television, seeing him get himself get a booster. Now, you don't do that because PR 101 is if you screwed up, fess up, contritely, as soon as possible. And if you do that in a contrite way, people will forgive you. If he does not do that, the Democrats, in my opinion, are going to throw it at his feet in 24. And despite everything that's happening with the economy and immigration, et cetera, et cetera, it, that could be the, the reason he loses the second election, because remember, he lost the first election because of COVID. It was the Democrats who realized that we could use the, the, the imagined danger of in-person voting. They, they realized that if they could uh, get absentee ballots in a large scale on the basis that it's too dangerous to vote in person, they knew that they could fraudulently milk absentee ballots, which they did. Mm-hmm. Trump lost the last election because of COVID, because the Democrats milked absentee ballots. He could lose the election in 24 because of COVID for a different reason. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's important is that it's not Trump losing an election. It's not just the, the idiots that are currently in power in Washington, D.C., destroying America. But another four years of the Dumbocrats could destroy democracy globally. Mm-hmm. They're the last holdout for democracy. Europe's gone. Europe's gone. Canada's gone. If America goes, watch out. 
Yeah. We're all in deep trouble. There is that sense that the U.S. is the last bastion of hope for the world. So it, we're, we're watching with trepidation what happens in the U.S., but it's... Uh, so, so let's get an independent Republic of Alberta going to show the rest of the world there's a different way of doing things. Yeah. Well, is this going to be similar to what's happening in Texas and Florida? I know there are nascent movements out there for the same thing, but I, I can't speak to the details. Yeah. They certainly have um, extracted themselves uh, politically from the federal government, and it seems to be going well for them. But we'll see. We'll, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. On a completely different note, did you see or did you hear Dr. Peter Brengen come out in the last week talking about um, mass formation? and dismissing it and saying Matthias Desmet uh, has a theory that he does not feel is valid in this situation. Did you, think, did you hear Peter Brengen's comments? No, I don't listen to a damn thing he says. I think it's the oh, other okay. way around. Because he feels this is a, a response that he feels we're, you know, in Canada we're experiencing, or in the US, authoritarianism. No, it's the other way around. It's Brengen that's the idiot. He believes in a grand conspiracy and, and, and you know, causing all of this, which is absolute nonsense. Show me the forensic audit. It's all very well to have the dots out there. Yeah, we all know the statements of Gates on, on you know, too many people on earth and all that. We, we know all of that. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. But show me the forensic audit. It doesn't exist. Mm. It's mere conjecture. Mm. Very interesting. Well, you know what? This has been a very interesting conversation. I am so glad that we spoke. I feel enlightened on this new movement in Alberta, which I, I'm really hoping and praying that this. I, I want to say I want to say one more thing about Bregan. He actually called me to interview me, and we we had the long you know interview before the interview. <laughs> he didn't like what I told him, and guess what? I was never interviewed. He doesn't want to hear the other side of the story. Interesting. Interesting. So you, you, when you look at the World Economic Forum, you don't feel that they have any massive agenda? Oh, of course they do. Oh my, my, they said so. It's explicit. You yeah. learn nothing and be happy. They're just, they're closet communists mm -hmm. um, or fascists or some miraculous mix of the two, you know, aided and abetted by you know, billionaires who think they can control the world for their own ends. The principal funder of the World Economic, funders of the World Economic Forum are billionaires. Yes. So where is it that you deviate from what Peter Brengen is saying? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that's his big thing. You know, uh, no, this was an accidental release. No one could have at all predicted the reactions to it or the consequences of it. It was a Machiavellian immediate exploitation of a totally unexpected opportunity for which the World Economic Forum and the Democrats in the States were amply prepared to take advantage of. So the simulation in October 2019, hosted by the WHO and Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, you think that's just a coincidence? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. this, this was not planned. There's a huge difference between wishing something to happen 
and actually being the instigator of making it happen. Yeah, yeah. So they, we, syn we, synchronous, synchronous with their desire, there was an unexpected opportunity that dropped in their laps, mm -hmm. and they were meticulously prepared to take immediate advantage of it. Now, what about the military gains? You heard the reports that a third of our military team that went sure. to Wuhan sure. came home deathly ill. Sure, that and was those reports are out there. So, no, and you have military from all over the world de being dispersed. Sure, they all just happened to be in Wuhan in October, yep. November, two thousand nineteen. Yep. Do you not think that that's plausible that something happened there? No, you'd have to assume that it was intentionally released. Uh, that's a, just a coincidence, in my opinion, of which yeah. that doesn't prove causation at all. No, no, no. So you think there's that you do not think there's any malicious intent here. It was accidental, but they've capitalized on it. With brutal efficiency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've been very efficient. That we do agree. Well, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, this has been a fascinating conversation, a lively one, very informative. Thank you so much for your time. Well, we'll do it again sometime. I'll it's let been... you get back to your Saturday and your guests. Thank you again. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Own dozen, each I'm with their own dozen volunteers. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there are chapters within this movement. Tell me again, what, what would be your, uh, your parting words for Canadians at this juncture? What do Canadians need to do? They need to turn the flag upside down and sit down for the national anthem, reflect upon what's happening, and understand that there is a better way, but that will not happen unless they get off their duffs and actually stand up take the risk and be part of this process of recreating democracy. It's within our grasp. There are more of us than them. We're practical, honest, caring people who know what we want, and we're just not gonna put up with this crap anymore. Mm -hmm. We are done, it's over. We're taking back control and you lot that have been killing us, had better watch out because your day in court is coming. Very interesting. You, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, those are some <laughs> inspirational words. Uh, interestingly, I spoke to someone who does circulate in these circles with the elite, and I don't know if you've heard what they refer to us as, because I didn't know what, what term they had coined to describe us. And you may not have heard this, but apparently they call us the discontents. And I asked this person who hobnobs with this group, I said, so do they respect us? Because we figured out their plan and their agenda. And he said, no, they fear us. And I, that fits with what you're saying. We have had enough. Right. We well, you remember that, that famous quote that was misattributed to Gandhi. First, they laugh at you. No, first they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. Then they attack you. And then you win. Yeah. So we need to when you when you're getting flack, you know you're over with a target. Absolutely, and that's where we are right now. So thank you so much for your time, Dr. Roger Hodgkinson. I Hodgkinson, I do believe that um, your words will inspire many, 
and mo- we need to mobilize. You know what this means? This is Churchill's victory sign. Hmm. You don't hold it this way around. It means something rather different in Europe. Victory. It's ours for the taking. Let's grasp it. Thank you. So we are back with Dr. Roger Hodkinson, and we're going to talk about fertility, the vaccine and fertility. Go ahead. Tell us what, tell us what you know on this subject. Well, there, there are many facets to this, um, both in terms of um, the facts that are becoming um, available, uh, but also medical research on how this could all be happening. And I'll, I'll start with the ending in order to get your attention. You think infertility is a problem? What about sterility? I'm not talking about genocide here of an intentional nature. I'm talking about these buffoons who didn't think through some of the horrible consequences that could happen that need to be investigated because of the seriousness of the risk. So that's the ending. Let me give you, let me give you the middle part of what I want to say. We know that fertility rates are dropping internationally significantly. The numbers are hard to confirm, but the, it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of how bad is it. Mm-hmm. We know also that the clot shot, this experimental vaccine, gene therapy is a better description for it, has resulted in a 15% reduction in the concentration of spermatozoa in semen that appears to be continuing for a couple of months after vaccination, so-called. Um, but would be likely repeated after further doses of booster shots. Now, that drop in concentration of spermatozoa is superimposed upon a reduction in that count over the last two decades internationally, which is unexplained, an additional impairment of fertility. And remember, too, that that is simply the count it does not reflect the functionality, the physiology of an individual spermatozoan's ability to fertilize an ovum. It's simply the number. We know nothing about the function, which is a different story entirely. So the ova come down from the ovary in the fallopian tube and they're fertilized in the fallopian tube by a spermatozoan. And then they enter the cavity of the uterus looking for a hospitable environment to implant. As a pathologist, I can tell you, having opened up hundreds of uteruses, gynecologists don't do that. They pass the specimen to a pathologist to look at for the the pathology that's going on. The endometrium, the normal endometrium, is the lushest, most fragile, tissue in the entire human body. It's meant to be that way as a welcoming environment for the fertilized ovum. You can put your finger in it, just like you can put your finger in the brain, a fresh brain. 
very, very fragile tissue. And it's meant, as I said, meant to be so as a welcoming environment. But you, you know it's fragile as a woman because there's a menstrual period every month. It's refreshed to be constantly available for that ovum. The blood vessels in the endometrium that we see under the microscope as pathologists are the most fragile in the human body, extremely thin-walled, meant to exude nutrients, meant to be welcoming for that implanting fertilized ovum. So that's the normal state of affairs. Now, every single one of those blood vessels in the endometrium is lined by a specific receptor for the spike protein. It's called the ACE2 receptor. And when the spike protein attaches to those receptors, on the lining of those blood vessels, lining the, lining the uterus, it produces devastation. You get holes in the vessels, you get blood clots, you get bleeding. That's the attack of the spike protein on the ACE2 receptor. And that's happening throughout the body. That's why people are getting strokes and deep vein thromboses and heart attacks as well. But we're talking here about just the, the focus on the, on the endometrium, the lining of the uterus. So it's no longer a welcoming environment. It's devastation. And so it's hardly surprising that those fertilized ova do not take net result, a reduction in the number of live births. Okay, it gets much worse than that. We know from the Freedom of Information Act that Byron Bridal uh, extracted from um, the Japanese authorities mm -hmm. for the Pfizer data, the Pfizer, Pfizer submitted data to the Japanese authorities uh, that was kept hidden. We do know that in those experiments, which involved just rats, that the nanoparticles, naked nanoparticles, there was no mRNA, mRNA in them, just the nanoparticles themselves, which, by the way, are known to be inflammatory and intentionally inflammatory in order to encourage an immune response mm -hmm. because of the nature of the surface of those nanoparticles. We do know from those experiments that those nanoparticles located heavily and selectively in the rat ovaries. Despite that information being privy to the FDA, no human research was done on the attack of the spike protein on the human ovary. None. It's being injected into pregnant women as we speak. So, connect the dots for me. This is simply something that could be happening of profound importance Demand, that demands immediate investigation because of the significance of it for the viability of the human race. Pregnant women are being injected with an unknown, an, an experimental substance that produces spike protein that we know gets through the placental barrier because of the size of the nanoparticles. And we know that nanoparticles of similar size inert particles like silica get through the placental barrier. Baby girls are born with all the eggs they're ever going to have in their entire life. It's about a million. 
when they're born, they don't continue making ova, eggs. It's finished. A very precious number of their at birth, and you don't have any more. Mm-hmm. So I can see, I hope you can see where I'm going with this. We have an intentionally inflammatory agent being given to pregnant women that will pass through the placental barrier, (coughs) excuse me, and attack the developing ovary in a female fetus. Potentially attack. All subject to very urgent, necessary research. Because it could be, I don't know, that's why I'm worried shitless. I don't know the scale of that attack, how total it would be, or partial, or maybe not at all, not in existence at all. Mm -hmm. But the mere fact that it could happen, and we're injecting women with something that could not just produce an infertile woman 20 years from now, but potentially a sterile woman 20 years from now, that should scare the jeebas out of everyone. I'm simply talking medical science here. I hope I'm wrong, obviously. I'm just saying the scale of that threat is much more than the ovum not finding a welcoming environment in the endometrium because it's been devastated. It's much more serious than that. Mm-hmm. There may be no overcoming down that fallopian tube. We just what, don't know. We don't know. What about men? What is the research showing is the effect on men and sperm yeah. and sperm fertility? Um, yeah, you, you, could, you could look it up. There's some technical words here. Um, spermatogenesis, the, 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 the way in which sperm is uh, produced in the testes. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, very, the very place where that multiplication is taking place uh, is nurtured by, you might say, nursery cells. Mm-hmm. They're called Leydig, L-E-D, L-E-Y-D-I-G, and Sertoli, S-E-R-L-O-T-I. Leydig and Sertoli cells are the nursery cells for the developing spermatozoa. Mm-hmm. And Leydig and Sertoli cells uh, have the ACE2 receptor, mm. which is theoretically, again, not studied, theoretically the focus of attack for the spike protein. And do remember what I said. It's All that's being reported is simply the count, the naked count. Mm-hmm. We know nothing about the physiology of spermatozoa, how functional they are, how capable they are of fertilizing an ovum. We know nothing about that, simply the count. Well, way back, about a year and a half ago, Dr. Stephen Quay or Key from Seattle was producing some reports that this is before the vaccine, but he said the the COVID spike proteins were affecting sperm count and motility and shape of the sperm and rendering them rather useless. I mean, he said there was a 400% decline in numbers and the shapes were very peculiar. 
the motility was off. And this is before the vaccine, but this was the nature of the spike protein damage. on yeah. men. So I haven't heard much more from him or anyone else on that matter, but no, that, I think this is a catastrophic problem. I don't believe that research has been replicated. Mm. Um, there's certainly great interest in Israel um, on this matter. They're the ones that have been principally publishing. And by the way, talking about Israel, I'm not sure if you know, but one of the most prestigious um, researchers of the data from a statistical perspective mm -hmm. is a Canadian PhD who lives in Israel, uh, Dr. Jessica Rose. And if you want to Google her, mm -hmm. she writes some incredible articles. Yes, I, I have followed her. She is a, a wonderful source of very solid information. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, the, the research that is being suppressed in Israel, but is still getting out, uh, you know, they're trying. Well, it's, it's not just in Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, people have to realize that um, progress in medicine really only happens because of published experimental data research. Mm -hmm. Now, the major journals, particularly the New England Journal of Medicine and The Lancet, the, the, the British Medical Journal, the BMJ, is the third one, but that's in a very differently, very honest, very, very, very legit, not at all corrupt. But the New England Journal and the Lancet are utterly corrupt to the extent that they are in the back pocket of Big Pharma because subjects that are researched and are negative to the narrative just miraculously don't get published. So most of the stuff that gets published is in favor of whatever Big Pharma is saying. Yeah. The other side of the equation is, is not reported. And so that builds into the, the difficulty that we have now in, in medicine of, of believing anything that the CDC says. The CDC themselves are corrupted by funding from Big Pharma, getting 50% of their money from Big Pharma. It's like, it's like asking your child to mark, mark their own homework, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah. I know that people like John Ioannidis out of Stanford has said repeatedly for years, I think back in 2005, yeah. he wrote a paper saying the scientific community is corrupted. And, and right. I think less than 10% of scientific papers are reproducible. Right. This, is a, this is a massive problem. This is like the Titanic is, is sinking in that, the scientific that, world. That's layered on top of the fact that most of the research that's done is garbage in the first place. Yeah. Because it's the, it's the paper mill in universities, as I said in the previous program, yeah. that is the business of a university, not educating people at all. So, it, no, the, you the have, business. You have, that, that is so true. It is the business. And they, they, ha they, they have their marching orders to produce papers that confirm the agenda. That's right, that's right. So the, the whole edifice is corrupt and, and you, you need to know, look no further than, than video testimony, anyone can look it up, um, by a Dr. Rubin, R-U-B-I-N, who was the top dog at the New England Journal of Medicine, the senior editor in chief, mm -hmm. top dog. When the FDA was debating whether or not to pass through the request by Pfizer for vaccination of children, he is on record, on video, watch him say these words to the effect that it may not be 
exactly what he said, but the meaning is what I'm going to tell you. He said essentially this, quote, we won't know if it works until we use it. In other words, children being sacrificed on the high altar of these demig demigods, these technocrats, these corrupt American journals. Lancet in Britain is no different. Um, but he actually said that publicly. Yes, I heard that. And it's one thing to think it, but it's quite another to actually verbalize it. To say it. I, I, I think historical precedent should be relevant here. Mm -hmm. Child sacrifice for the Aztecs didn't make the rainfall. And it won't save granny in the nursing home. What it will do is kill children. And each one of those children that are going to be killed with this vaccine is as precious to some family as my children are to me. They're not a statistic. They're a gruesome, grotesque consequence of corporate greed and political indifference. I should ask you, do you have a faith? Because it, it's such a dark, we're in such dark times and the consequences of all of this are rather grim. How do you reconcile what's going on? What, or do you? Do well, you... I, I am at the end of the day, as I said, optimistic about the future mm -hmm. when the revulsion sets in, mm -hmm. which isn't at a big enough level yet. Mm -hmm. uh, but personally, I'm, I'm an agnostic. Um, mm -hmm. I was brought up a Methodist. Um, I, having said that though, um, I want to make it very clear. Um, I consider religious freedom as traditionally understood is the most important freedom. Mm -hmm. It's the oldest freedom. Mm -hmm. It has a, a belief structure that keeps many people going. Mm -hmm. We cannot undermine religious freedom. Mm -hmm. Just a kilometer from where I live is um, Grace Life Church. Mm -hmm. I saw the fence going up. I was there when the police were there. I, I'm very aware, very, very aware of the importance of religious worship and the freedom to do so. Mm -hmm. And that's why, as I said in a previous episode with you, that the reluctance of the organized church to stand up and protect their flock at a time of great need Mm -hmm. is one of the most despicable abrogation of responsibility in the church's history. Yeah. It's much worse than the Pope having no interest in Nigerian girls being raped. Yeah. It's much worse than that. It, it's horrific. And the whistleblowers are coming forward. You know, there are churches in BC who receive very large sums. I, I had heard that Trinity Baptist received a million dollars to turn the church into a vaccine center. Yeah. That, that's yeah. deplorable. And, yeah. and yet this is, and pastors being paid off to stay silent right. or to close the church. So I think when all of this, you know, when, when all of this comes out, uh, there, so the some heads should roll. Most definitely. And, and after due process, um, they need their time in court. Um, they're going to fight vigorously, try to wriggle off the hook. But remember, mm -hmm. after Nuremberg, seven so-called physicians swung. The scale of death yeah. that's been going on internationally, and not minimizing what happened 
in those concentration camps one bit. But I'm, what, what I'm saying is that the scale of death that's, that these technocrats have inflicted on the world is an or, it's orders of magnitude worse than anything that those doctors did in those concentration camps. How grim do you think it's going to be? I mean, it's very hard to predict, but what do you foresee happening here? We've got, we've got 80% of the population in Canada is, is at least double vaxxed, uh, or globally even. What do you foresee is happening? What do you think is going to be? Well, you, you can't turn the clock back. Um, one, one hopeful sign is that, at least in the States, only 5% of children to date have been vaccinated. Yeah. There seems to be a general reluctance of parents to inflict that on their children. I find that interesting. They, they, they contemplate the decision so much more carefully when it's their children. Mm. And yet, if they had really thought about it, they could be leaving their children as orphans. Right. Like, your life as a parent is as important as your child's in a different way. But parents did not wrap their head around this issue very carefully when they contemplated getting the jab themselves. I, I, it's heartbreaking when I think about that because you could have a lot of parentless children. Um, it, cumulative is what I'm labeling the big kill. And it's not over because of the potential resurgence of cancer, um, because of the immune suppression that the gene therapy is creating. Yes. Remember that the, the immune system is there to do one thing, to identify things that aren't you. Yeah. One of which is bugs, infections. But the other thing is cancer. Cancer isn't you. Mm -hmm. And most people don't realize it, but you know, every second of every day, your immune system is surveilling every single nook and cranny in your body, looking for those tiny cancers and knocking them off very efficiently and so that you don't die of cancer until you're 85. That's going on silently with miraculous efficiency. Mm -hmm. And that's what this gene therapy has interfered with. It suppressed the immune system in general. And therefore, that is the likely explanation, as well as other uh, additional issues, mm -hmm. why we're seeing a, um, a surge in new, new cancer cases mm -hmm. and cancers that were thought to be, quote, under control, suddenly getting out of control. Yes. Um, we... we I'm, and elaborating a little bit here, if I may, um, Marianne, about the mechanism for that. Mm -hmm. um, there used to be dogma in, in molecular biology. Um, and I, as you might have read out initially, I'm the chairman of an, of an American biotechnology company doing a lot of DNA sequencing. I, I know quite a bit about this. Uh, there was, um, until recently, dogma that the, um, the way... Um, DNA was translated into some effective, useful purpose in your cells was for the DNA as the blueprint to be uh, translated into a product called RNA mm -hmm. that was then the, the blueprint for making a particular protein, uh, a three-step process that was one way, DNA to RNA to protein. We now know that that is wrong, that you can go the opposite direction. 
And we do know that this mRNA in the the so-called vaccine in a Petri dish with a liver culture of human cells, we do know that that RNA can go upwards and be permanently transcribed, as we call it, into DNA. Now, we don't know where in the DNA it's inserting. Is it next to um, another gene that could promote a cancer or not? We don't know where it's inserting, if it's, if it's always in one place or if it's random. We don't know that. But we also know that the spike protein um, interferes with the quality assurance of copying of DNA. When a cell divides in your bone marrow or on your skin or anywhere, when a cell divides, um, the replication, the copying of that DNA is not always perfect. There are mutations that take place. Mm-hmm. And there's a particular repair mechanism that monitors that to kill those cells that have that mistake. We know that the, the spike protein specifically interferes with that quality assurance checking, which is another way that cancer could be being caused by this this gene therapy so you you roll it all together and um that's another very concerning consequence of the clot shot not just thrombosis deep vein thrombosis heart attack strokes but also the effect as i said on fertility um and also the serious risk of encouraging cancer in people that would not otherwise have developed it. And on top of all of that, the immune suppression resulting in an increased risk of infection, infection in general, not just with COVID, mm-hmm. as we're now seeing, because on a, on a prevalence, corrected for prevalence basis, meaning per 100,000 people, There's more COVID infection now in people who've received the gene therapy, corrected for prevalence per 100,000, a strict comparison, no no messing around with statistics here. Mm -hmm. The vaccinated are coming down with more infections than the unvaccinated. Now, that's not exactly how a so-called vaccine is supposed to work. It's going in exactly the opposite direction. But this data is not getting out in mainstream media. There's still the misconception that we are the sicker ones, we are dying, the unvaccinated. Um, and that battling, battling the media narrative is almost impossible. Well, it, it will not be possible to ignore the carnage when the basement printing press gets going in the next year. Mm-hmm. Investigative journalists are going to be on this and we'll be educating people in ways that social media and the Alberta Prosperity Project don't come close. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm saying very candidly, watch out for the scale of revulsion. Yeah. The scale of revulsion. I, I, I agree. The rage that people will feel when they recognize the magnitude of what has happened yeah. here. Let, let me end with a, a, um, a straw poll that I did mm-hmm. a year or so ago until I was tired of asking the question. And this is how bad it is when 
you need straw polls to try to figure out what's happening instead of government really latching on and saying, we're going to figure this out. Mm -hmm. I asked this question to 500 people at a time. Would everyone here who, who knows of someone shortly after vac vaccination with this gene therapy, anyone here who sh knows someone who shortly after vaccination is aware of that person having either a heart attack, a stroke, or a pulmonary embolus, not a sore arm and a headache, but something life-changing, mm -hmm. would you please put up your hand? I wasn't prepared for the reaction the first time I asked the question. I was gobsmacked. A third of the people there put up their hands. So I said, hey, listen, just stand up, look around, would you? Does that look like a rare event to you? Mm -hmm. So I asked the question again on two further occasions, same number of people. And I got approximately the same ratio of hands going up. Isn't it sickening that something of that scale, that those, those were not deaths, by the way. Those were people who didn't die, right? Um, well, some of them might well have died. But isn't it, isn't it despicable that our so-called government and medical officers of health are turning a blind eye to something that's so rampant. Yeah. And it, it, you rely upon straw polls? Until, of course, Ed Dowd went public with the life insurance in, uh, mm -hmm. uh, company in, in Idaho, yeah. showing a 40% increase in non-COVID deaths, not due to infection with COVID, mm -hmm. in people who are almost overwhelmingly vaccinated, because of the nature of group policies, meaning it's a large corporation that's yeah. that's undertaking it, and that was the first. That was the first, if you like. I hate to use a pun here, but it's dead people. It it's it was the first stone cold fact that emerged, um, other than the likes of my straw polls. Yeah. Um, incontrovertible fact. Exactly. His most recent data that came out this week shows that the actuarial charts were revealing that the group of 25 to 45 year olds, the death yep. rate has doubled. Yep. 200%. Yep. Yep. Excess mortality. Yeah. Excess mortality. Yeah. I mean, this is, this should be front page news. This All these strands of information are saying exactly the same thing yes this is the biggest catastrophe in medical history yes. it's a it's a gigantic screw-up so how can we how can we penetrate the wall with fellow canadians family members friends who are calling us conspiracy theorists what is it going to take for them to wake up because i don't feel the wake up is happening fast enough what do you think we need to do differently I think the, the stats need to be more widely distributed, mm -hmm. uh, as I said. Um, sadly, I, it's my dearest hope that these children that are going to be sacrificed do not die in vain, that it, it sensitizes people to the gravity of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Dear children who was, were perfectly healthy, uh, as dear to them as mine are to me, dying. Totally 
without any protection or need whatsoever, just being given an experimental agent to satisfy the political gods. Um, I'm hoping that that, that uh, foments even more revulsion. Uh, it, 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 it's got, I think it's sadly, I think it's got to get worse before it gets better. Well, and maybe it has to be personal. You need to have death or serious injury within your inner circle for it to touch you personally, and then you can't escape it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, unfortunately, maybe this is what it's going to take. I think so. Yeah. That is, it's, it's tragic that um, so tragic. it hasn't been stopped in its tracks already. Oh, you know, to be, that's been the most frustrating chapter of life to be, you know, in. I, I just, it's, you just. And, it, and as a consequence, it. as a consequence mm -hmm. of the loss of trust at every level in society, mm -hmm. given the culpability of the CDC on this event, the natural question that has to be posed is, what else have they passed through with inadequate evidence? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Potentially deaths having happened. What else have they hidden? Mm -hmm. And that cuts to the very core of so-called allopathic medicine, the use of medications to mitigate things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people are, people are wary, suspicious, and I think a lot of people are looking back thinking, okay, what, what were the modes of healing in Europe before some of these characters came on the scene, like the Rockefellers? You feel as though the medical industry was hijacked and they've been lying for a long time. And that, that is, a, for me as a, as a physician, traditionally trained, it's a devastating moment in medical history to think that the organizations that we implicitly trusted, yeah. I, I was never an anti-vaxxer. I, I took vaccines of all, all sorts. I trusted them. Mm -hmm. They were blue chip, you know? We all did. And, and now when, when, that, when that trust goes out of the window, um, you, have, you have to ask yourself, well, maybe Kennedy's right about autism and the triple vax. Maybe he's right after all. You know, I was an academic snot. I trashed him because the CDC said the opposite story. Yeah. But I'm eating humble pie now. You did, you, did you see the research by Dr. Paul Thomas out of Oregon? He did a longitudinal study on his practice. And in Oregon, there's a lot of granola kind of crowd. So half of his practice, they did not vaccinate their children. So he had 20 years of data to compare the vaccinated group versus the unvaccinated. And in mm -hmm. the unvaccinated group, there is zero autism, zero ADHD, zero autoimmune issues, asthma. Uh, it goes on and on. The healthy children are unvaccinated. Yeah. I wish well, I knew that. I, I, I vaccinated my children with the childhood vaccine schedule. But I reflect back now and I think we didn't listen to Dr. Wakefield. We weren't listening to the voices standing on the mountaintop. And that includes uh, Robert Kennedy. He's been I, I'm, I'm not a well-read person at all, but I did come across a quote by Voltaire some time ago that goes like this. Um, uh, 
The art of medicine lies in amusing the patient while nature cures the disease. Mm. Now, that, yeah. is, that is prescient. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That speaks to the incredible, at that time, the totally unknown capabilities of the body to fight off infection and cancer and all that. Yeah. He was way ahead of his time. Way. The sophistication, because, the sophistication of our bodies and our immune systems. Which we are messing with we're messing in a way with. that is totally unknown, a vital element in our survival mm -hmm. against being killed by bugs and being killed by cancer. We are messing with that in ways that are totally unquantified. Yeah. And you're, as we started this conversation on the topic of sterility, I, I think you bring up a very valid point. I saw stats yesterday out of Germany that their birth rate is down over 20%. Yeah. Well, how do you account, how do you account for that? Let, let, me, let me put a little bit of humor in this, this for, for, for a change, because it's a pretty grim picture. It is it? pretty dark. Yes, I agree. You, you, you might have imagined, um, you know, that being quarantined and stuck at home with nothing much to do might just have resulted in the opposite. Well, that's right. During every blackout, during every snowstorm, there's always been a baby boom. And it didn't not, happen. Not this time. It Not didn't happen, this, did it? No, yeah. no, no. It's uh, it's very sinister what we're seeing unravel before us. But um, just briefly, can you rattle off in point form the titles that you've had, just so that people understand how credible a resource you are? No, you've done so many things. Can you just list them? <laughs> All right. Well, my degree. I was second in the country in zoology in Britain. I, um, I got a scholarship to Cambridge, just not an ordinary entry. I was a scholar at Cambridge. Mm -hmm. um, I did my pathology training in Vancouver, which was an excellent, excellent training, in, the best in the country uh, by far. Mm -hmm. um, in the mock exam to change for a written exam to a multiple choice, um, a fellow resident and myself um, came in top in the country, um, despite the fact that um, staff men, consultants were also forced to take it and we beat them. Mm. Um, um, since then, I was an assistant professor um, at the University of Alberta doing a lot of teaching uh, with residents. Um, I became the president of the Provincial Society of Pathologists um, I became eventually the chairman of a Royal College examination committee in Ottawa in general pathology, setting the annual examination for pathology residents to make sure they were safe to be let loose on the general public. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I'm chairman of an American biotechnology company doing extremely exciting work in, in commercializing, not research commercializing dna sequencing in a very very original way um i've been president of the world's oldest sir winston spencer churchill society which happens to be in edmonton believe it or not the only one blessed by churchill in his lifetime um 
I was the honorary chairman of Action on Smoking and Health for 20 years, taking on the predatory marketing practices of big tobacco, in which we achieved modest success. Um, certainly not me. Um, you know, a dozen or so people across the country were were very much involved in that, especially Garma Hood out of Toronto, uh, who got the Order of Canada for his work. Um, and um, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. I got I was made Citizen of the Year for that. Um, I, I've started a fencing club. Um, I, I, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff, and I know I know. It, I'm now on the board of uh, advisory board of Taking Back Our Freedoms in um, in Calgary, the organization headed up by Brian Petford, um, a very a national organization, uh, which I'm I'm very proud to be to be part of. I consider Brian a, a close friend. Is Brian Petford involved in the Alberta Prosperity uh, Project no. at all? No, no. but no. is he endorsing it? I haven't spoken to him about that. Um, he still, of course, is a fervent patriot for good reason. Mm -hmm. He signed Last Living Signature on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And uh, he's a passionate Canadian. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I believe he's also a pragmatic man. Um, mm -hmm. And as the dust settles, um, I can't predict what his opinion might be. Yeah, very interesting. Well, you know what? You are a, a, a wonderful resource uh, because you have a very broad uh list of i mean the experience that you have is is very very well, good. So I, I think that I, um you know we, we I, <laughs> I, I, I i've done just about everything that a senior pathologist could be expected to do mm -hmm. um i've done hundreds of autopsies at the medical examiner's office so i can speak to sudden adult death syndrome when i was there it was exquisitely rare to sign out a death certificate as unknown cause, exquisitely rare. Um, it, it virtually never happened. There was always some reason for death, you know. So yeah, I, 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 I've covered the waterfront in, and Oda is also <laughs> well-grounded in medicine, um, quite apart from my brutal training in Britain. Um, I was a GP in Britain for a year and also in British Columbia before I started my residency. So I'm oh. acutely aware yes. of the, of the difficulties of being a good GP. It's the most difficult job in medicine. And I, I was in the trenches. I've seen that up close and personal. And I'm not an academic snot about GPs. I, I revere them for being the triage point for a lot of whining people. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's so true. And if you're in a smaller community, they're not, they're doing everything. They, they, they yeah. have to be the specialist in a sense, uh, yeah. out of necessity. One last question that I have for you is that these, the classification of unknown death. Now mm -hmm. you say that's almost an unknown phenomenon in the world of pathology. Mm -hmm. These pathologists must know what is killing these people, but are they not allowed to define? I mean, it's in your mind, is it not the vaccine? Is it not? A clotting spike. Oh, of course, of course, it's the vaccine. It's the but they're thing. not. So, th what has happened that the pathologists are not allowed to designate the the vaccine as causative? Okay. Well, the, have, they the, been, have they been told shut up or we take you no, out? What's happening? No, no, that's not the reason. Mm -hmm. um, the reason is 
uh, performing an autopsy requires the permission of the family Mm -hmm. uh, or if it's if there's homicide being considered then that right is is no longer there and the state the province can determine that an autopsy will in fact take place um, in the case of these sudden adult death syndromes there's no suspicion of foul play so there has to be permission by the family for the autopsy to occur uh, now given the gravity of what's going on you'd, you'd like to think that the government would put in place some way of encouraging um, families to actually get an answer to what the death was due to uh, of course they don't they don't want to know yeah, that, yeah. that's the, that's the first point the second point is that a good many of these sudden adult death syndromes are probably due to an attack uh, of the spike protein on the heart conducting system, not myocarditis. Some of them may well be due to sub, subclinical myocarditis that suddenly declares itself with a, with a sudden death. But a good number of them may well be an attack, not just on the muscle of the heart, but specifically on the conducting system of the heart. Mm -hmm. Now that requires very sophisticated um, staining, uh, as we call it, immunofluorescent staining, looking for evidence of the spike protein uh, in the vicinity of the conducting bundles in the heart. Now, that's a very sophisticated process that would only be developed if there's a large number of cases to do it on. It's, it's happening in the States in a limited way. Ryan Cole, for example, has the ability to do it, and so is another pathologist in Germany. Um, but you, you could easily imagine doing an autopsy on sudden adult death syndrome and in, a, in an ordinary sense, in the way autopsies are usually done and the sections that are usually taken and the stains that are usually done and looked at under the microscope, you may well find nothing unless you do very specialized investigations to look for where the spike protein is locating. So the vast majority of these unknown deaths there have not had autopsies. No. So don't want to know, I, do they? If I suspect foul play and I have a family member die, can I demand an autopsy? Because I suspect the vaccine has killed my family member. Can I not demand it? Oh, you can try, but you're probably not going to get anywhere because the places that are doing those autopsies are the hospitals and the medical examiner's office. And those, those facilities. Uh, excuse me, those facilities are under the financial control of the health ministry in the various provinces. So they're blocking, they're blocking this. So could, could I demand an autopsy is done privately? No, there's no, no access to private autopsies in Canada. You're kidding. No. See, that to me is really important that people have the ability to get the autopsy. Sure. No, you, you're, excuse me, for being using the vernacular, you're pissing up a wall. It would never happen. It will not happen. In other no. words, you have no ability to prove the, the, the you know, the yes. cause of death. And therefore, you, you have no recourse. No. Even well, if you, even if that, you wanted. Isn't you that see, handy? That's very handy. They don't want to know. At every or, level. No, of course, they don't want to know. But if you, if you demand it, 
So they, if they, we demand it, should we not be putting word out, if you suspect that your family member has died because of the clot shot, demand an autopsy with the pathologist and you yes. might get it? Demand an autopsy with the medical examiner's office. That would be the, uh, that would be the location where it takes place. And, and have that in writing and demand a response in writing. Now, when you say with the medical examiner's office, is that a different avenue than a normal? Yes, autopsies are performed basically in two locations. They're done in, they used to be, let me put it that way, uh, in hospitals, basically as a quality assurance step, uh, step for intraoperative deaths to make sure that the surgeon's not responsible. Mm -hmm. It was a quality assurance step. Um, that was, but auto, very few autopsies are done in hospitals now because they're too expensive to to run. Mm -hmm. And it, and again, it, it's it's a it's a failure of the quality assurance pro process. Um, but the, the most, if not all, autopsies now are performed in in the medical examiner's office or the coroner's office, depending on the province, mm -hmm. um, where there are trained uh, subspecialists in pathology called forensic pathologists, who are there to determine cause of death, uh, typically where there's suspicious circumstances, homicides and so on. Um, and the other large category is what, what are called um, natural deaths in unnatural circumstances. So you find um, someone dead at home uh, who'd um, had a history of heart disease and um, they may or may not autopsy the body, uh, if foul play is not suspected. But it, it, it really is up to the individual family to bang the table, to de demand that there be some resolution of this question of why did my dear husband die? Yeah. Um, or my 30-year-old son or spouse. Yeah. So really, right. there is some power in Canadians demanding an autopsy and yes. because, it, it, you know, you will get almost, refused. Uh, suggesting that there is a criminal dimension here. You will get refused. I can guarantee you, you will get refused. So how do you make it happen? But but, but have it written. Yes. And you could you could attach to that even a notice of liability, which is mm. publicly available in the Internet, uh, letting them know that their decision not to do that um, could make them liable to future prosecution that might get their attention but i doubt it they're going to stand behind the barrier of bureaucracy and and their defense would be well we got no money the ministry said we shouldn't do it um you know we're already underfunded we have to make these pragmatic decisions etc cetera, etc cetera. but um, even if the, if i as a family member suggest that i will pay to do this it have you ever seen that where someone paid no, for the autopsy? There's no mechanism of paying in the first place. Uh, they they would they would just never agree to that that arrangement at all. Let me let me paint a little anecdote here for the other side of that coin. Quite apart from you know solving this enigma of why are all these people dying unexpectedly as the commonest cause of death in Alberta now. I mean, <laughs> how gross can this be, right? Um, commoner than, you know, strokes and, and, um, and all the usual causes of death as, an ent as a single entity. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I mean, but let me tell you something that happened about a year ago. 
I was called by, um, I can't mention his name, but a, a prominent politician who said that um, the um, president of their constituency association uh, had just lost a five-day-old child. Um, and the child was, has, was autopsied. And this was on a Friday, by the way. And um, the, the routine practice now of any body being autopsied is to have a, a COVID test done on the body to see if, if it's positive or not. And this, this baby, this five-day-old baby, was positive for the PCR test. And so, guess what was planned? The Medical Officer of Health of Alberta was planning to do a news conference, basically bragging that Alberta was the first case of a pediatric death from COVID. It was planned. The news conference was planned. So I called the chief medical examiner and I said, told him who I was. I've worked there. I know I'm a pathologist. What did you find? No, we didn't find anything. So I said to him, listen, you know and I know, don't we, that this was a SIDS death. This was a false positive PCR result. You found nothing at autopsy to support an infection being due to, due to COVID. You know and I know, don't we, that this was not COVID. This was a SIDS death. Are you going to tell the ministry that? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. We can't do that. Oh, no. We, 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 we can't do that. So I phoned the ministry. And I got online a woman who was obviously from Southeast Asia, who could barely articulate what she was saying. And I was repeating my same concerns about this being a, a very inappropriate news conference because the evidence just wasn't there. And guess what happened? Halfway through the conversation, a male voice appears out of nowhere. He'd been monitoring the conversation. I said, who the hell are you? Oh, I'm Dr. X, um, um, specialist in public health. So I repeated my statement. I said, listen, I just want you to know from me directly now. Listen very carefully. You know and I know this was not a SIDS death. And if you go public with that news conference, I'm going to tear you to shreds. Tell the minister that. They didn't hold a news conference. They were looking for Brigado, you know. We are the first province to have, the first place on earth to have a baby die of COVID. Baby die of COVID. Just to fan the flames of fear, you know. Out of curiosity, was the mother vaccinated? I don't know the details. Hmm. Be very interesting because there seems to be a very high, you know, death rate. In, with yeah, that. I mean that, that was just a little anecdote. That, that is fascinating. So there, there is a perfect example of you flexing your muscles a little bit and changing the course of history. 
Well, you know, it it it, it, it was just intended to add to the fear. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that, of course, was the principal psychological strategy to get people to comply was create the fear that this is a terrible disease. It's going to kill, you know, millions of people. And we've got to take these drastic actions now in order to protect you because because we are the savior of humanity. We are. You can trust us to protect you from everything. Yeah. Including. You know, driving to work and not getting a head-on collision. <laughs> exactly. You've you've kind of piqued my interest with that SIDS. Okay, so it's a SIDS death. We don't know if the if the mother was vaccinated or wasn't. But I I was reflecting back on all the SIDS deaths when my children were younger, and I think were these caused by the vaccines, the, yeah. the childhood we, vaccines? I mean, now we don't no, know. Typically, they don't get them. Um, you know within days of birth you know um, they do in the u.s yeah in the u.s i know they give but, them they give them no, the, 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 i think the cause is still largely unknown um, i just i can't help but wonder you know i just it, yeah. it we don't trust anymore well, we've lost exactly everything everything, everything is on the table everything everything's is on the on table, the table. Yeah. well you know fascinating dr roger hodkinson thank you again for chatting um, absolutely uh, fascinating conversation. And uh, I just thank you for your time. Well, we'll do it again sometime. Yes. Thank you. So Go much. and enjoy your Saturday and, you. uh, and your guests. Sorry thank to interrupt you. that. Bye-bye.